Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have book shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode six. Today we have part two of my conversation with Jim Callahan. If you haven't listened to part one yet, it's on episode three. And I recommend doing that first. You know, it's been a lot of fun doing this podcast for the last month or so, but it's also been a pretty big learning experience for me. I'm still learning about the audio editing as I go, and I imagine there'll be more trials and tribulations moving forward. One of the challenging things about creating a podcast during a pandemic has been conducting interviews from remote locations over the phone. In this particular interview, there is a slight delay at times. I did the best I could to edit it out, and it's only really noticeable towards the end of the interview. I can't wait to start doing these interviews in person soon. I'm sure that I'll still have to interview guests over the phone occasionally though, and I will do the best at providing everyone with great content when that time comes. As always, you can find us on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. On Instagram and Facebook, it's Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. On Twitter, it's at Podcast Hardcore. Feedback and questions are always welcome and encouraged. You can contact us using the form on the website. Visit the website to get a list of all the current platforms we are streaming on. Coming up is part two of my interview with Jim Callahan. But first, I'm going to tell you how easy it is to make a podcast with Anchor. On part two of my conversation with Jim Callahan, we discuss all of Jim's bands after Shotokan. Those bands include Fahrenheit Killer, Fall Guy, Memory Loss, Obsessor, and the reincarnated Moment of Truth. We also discuss a variety of topics somewhat related to this interview. I hope you enjoy our conversation and make sure you stick around to check out the music from Jim's bands. But yeah, so I, I think around the same time you were doing Shotokan, uh, you, I think Fahrenheit Killer you, you played in at the same time and they're a pretty short-lived one I remember. Um, but what do, you, what do you remember from that band? Man, that was one of my favorite bands and I wish we could have done more, but the timing was just wrong. That was me and Chris from Moment of Truth, um, Aaron Burdo from Moment of Truth slash Shotokan. Uh, uh, this dude Travis Duke played bass, <clears throat> and Travis has dropped off the face of the planet. And if anybody knows where to get in touch with him, or if he's doing okay or whatever, you know, reach out to me or reach out to Josh and have him reach out to me because I really, really miss that dude. Um, and then we, uh, for a while, we had um, Andy Schmitz from uh, Bug House, and he's in a band called Charmer now. We had him singing, but uh, that didn't because he, he was a good buddy of ours. But but that didn't work out in the end, and he wasn't writing with us, and he would just show up for shows and stuff. And it was just it was, it was really wasn't what we wanted to have uh, happen. But uh, our music was a lot. Uh, I don't know. It was more. It was more technical. It was more driving. It was kind of. It, my opinion was that it was written to be instrumental. So we had to kind of cover all the bases, you know, like it, it wasn't like there was going to, there was never going to be a sing along there. There was never, you know, not that it doesn't have your kind of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge kind of structure to it, but we had to make sure that the instruments were filling in anything that a vocalist might do. So we, we really put a lot into like writing intertwining guitar lines into you know, you know, making sure that the bass guitar and the kick drum didn't go boom on the same exact same measure so that there, it was a little more like 
if, if we knew how to, if we knew about music theory, then we, you know, we, we probably would have written the songs out, but you know, we, we spent a lot more time. It was one of the bands I spent the most time kind of thinking about song structure and not just being like, yeah, that's a cool riff. Oh, that's another cool riff. Let's play him. It was like, no, nah, it needs to fit. This doesn't flow. And if one guitar is doing this, can, can this guitar do this line through until this change? You know, it's just like, it was one of the, the, one of the, one of the first bands I was ever in that like, that we spent, we only had basically five and a half songs because we spent so much time wanting to make sure that those were great songs. So then we, uh, we eventually went on and I knew that we were all going our separate ways. We didn't know where Travis was. Uh, Chris, Aaron, and I still wanted to record. We got our good buddy uh, and longtime uh, friend, Aaron Nichols to, um, to play bass on it for us. Aaron, Aaron currently lives in New York city and he runs a great grindcore called uh, nerve altar. So if you're into bands like water torture and stimulant and wake and defeatist and stuff like that, check out uh, nerve altar records. He's doing great stuff down there um, to play bass on it. And we got our buddy, uh, our old roster friend uh, who now lives in Oakland uh, for a long time, Lyle Sprague to, uh, to sing on it. So, but Lyle had like one practice before we went to the studio, so he he did his best. Kind of sticking with the timeline, and you had mentioned Andy Smith too. So, um, like I told you when we were when we were kind of researching this interview, I, I kind of forgot you were in so Bughouse. Um, and obviously, <laughs> and obviously, we won't go too deep into it because it doesn't really, you know, it's not really a hardcore band. But um, they were an integral part of the Rochester scene, and I and I think you were telling me. You know, personally, but tell everybody else like what you took away from the band and what you learned from being in that uh, band. So, um, so Bughouse was kind of more of a, a, a new metal band, but with a clutch influence instead of a crappy hip hop influence. We were in, I don't know, we were kind of a new metal band. Uh, I got into the band because their longtime drummer hurt himself. They needed a fill in through the course of just whatever happened, happened, had nothing to do with me. I ended up replacing the guy. I've been in the band for about two years. Uh, hoping to make some money. They had a manager, a booking agent. They were drawing heavily around Rochester. But, you know, I came in, I, I basically joined when the band was going into hospice. So, um, but the the big thing that I took away from it, a couple things happened. One is that the uh, Ryan McDonald, the guitar player, was almost in Moment of Truth, but we were all going to community college together and we went to look for him. We couldn't find him anywhere in the school. This was on like a Thursday or Friday. We ended up running into him on Monday and we we're like, oh, hey, Ryan, how you doing, man? What's going on? He's like, dude, I just jammed with these guys over the weekend, man. I got to I got to kill a new band going on. We're called Bug House. So like, we're like, oh, we're going to ask you to join more than the truth. Hmm. So it's kind of funny that years later I joined Bug House. But um, the biggest takeaway I had from that was playing with their bass player, Toby Bailey, because Toby is hands down one of the best bass players that I've ever played with. He really, really kind of taught me how to, how to how to sync up as a as a rhythm section and uh and it was great it didn't matter what uh andy was doing vocally or ryan was doing with guitar you know like when, when it was one of the first times as a as a drummer that i was ever just like to the sound text like no just give me bass i just need like kick and snare and then bass guitar in my monitor if i can hear the bass guitar i i can play the entire set without you know without blinking so it was a good time it was fun we had a lot of fun it was really different for me to kind of dip my toes and do a different scene you know, very rarely did I uh, play a show where I ran, you know, like an out of town show where I ran into anyone that I knew, uh, which was which was kind of cool. It's kind of good to uh, 
kind of spread your wings, you know, you get, you get, you get stale if you live in an echo chamber. So I, I really liked all those guys. So I was like, Oh yeah, like friends with all those guys. I'll play in this band for a little while. Plus, like I said, when I joined, I thought I was a filling because right. I knew I wanted to like, they kind of had the ball rolling at the time, or at least it seemed like they had the ball rolling. Like I said, a booking agent, a manager, that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I didn't want my friends band to not be able to, you know, not be able to keep that ball rolling. The same thing happened uh, years later with a, a local punk kind of uh, balls out rock and roll band called the, the UV Rays. My uh, uh, one of my best friends was the drummer in that band, and and he couldn't he couldn't play some shows that they were supposed to do going out with uh, Gang Green. So I learned their set and went out and did a fill in stint because I was like, oh man, you guys are you know you guys got a couple dates out there with you know like obviously they're a nostalgia act in the hardcore scene, but you know I was like, yeah, you guys got a couple shows with Gang Green. Like I don't want that to I don't want your band to not benefit, you know. So I'll go play. It was kind of fun to to do that and to be the fill-in guy. It was yeah. kind of interesting to know that like when the show was over, I just walked away. There was nothing. Else, so. uh, it's interesting. I never knew you played. Uh, and then my, I know, I do know you played at least one show with another local punk band that, and we all ended up playing the first ever uh, all ages show. Oh, yeah, the one show I did with, uh, uh, you remember with playing? Uh, um, Danny down in the syndromes. Yeah. D- yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was that the Luna chicks were headlining, which we yeah. left before they even played. Um, <laughs> And then my my band, which was the Scaborsians, it turned into we were called Running Through the Blood for that show, and that was our, our one yes. and only show with that lineup. Um, and and actually Pat Murphy and, and Lyle ended up because because they were I think I don't know if Pat was still underage at the time he probably was because yeah. in '97 um, they wanted to get in like without having to pay, so we, we just said they were in the band. So they they literally stood on stage with us the entire set. Yeah, so we I had three that. singers that night. Um, but that was yeah that was a fun show and then you know a few years later as you referenced earlier we we started being able to do more yeah. all ages stuff with the bug jar you know and that's obviously a great local venue if anybody's not familiar with or if anybody from out of town's listening um so towards the end of, of bug house you fo- you uh, reunited with pat from moment of truth and formed fall guy um how was that experience uh, and i'm pretty sure you guys played the only erupt show in early 2003 too with another yeah. uh, piece of trivia there um Fall Guy was a lot of fun because we were uh, removed enough from the scene that we didn't care what anybody really thought of what we were doing. We were just doing it for fun. Uh, I mean, not that not that I, you know, am particularly concerned now, but I am trying to be a little more proactive. And uh, with the current Moment of Truth stuff, you know, we are. Uh, um, but that band was literally just like, you know, some people get together with their buddies and you know, do fantasy football or they're in a dart league or, you know, whatever you go play disc golf or ride bicycles or something. We, we had a band. So it was a lot of fun to see my friends every week. We, uh, we wrote some fun songs. A um, couple of things that we recorded. I actually recorded cause I was going to school uh, for audio engineering out at a uh, uh, local college here, local junior college. And um, it was nice to, you know, be able to record my own band and turn that in for a final project for classes and stuff. And it was, it was kind of fun being behind the boards and being behind the drums at the same time. It was a challenge, but, uh, but I enjoyed it. And then I moved out to uh, California and that band carried on in a couple of different configurations that outside of Pat being in it, I really couldn't tell you a whole lot about it. One of the best musical days of my life happened when I was in that band the roots were playing out at RIT, you know, their fall student or spring student festival or whatever it was. And, you know, it, 
if you're a fan of music and you don't like the roots, you need to kind of reconsider your fandom because the, the hands down one of the best live bands I've ever seen. And I worked in clubs and I toured and I've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of bands play. Maybe not that many, but definitely thousands of bands play. And the roots are hands down one of the best bands I've ever seen. So Fall Guy plays. We play a show. I, I just remember that. So we played that show and uh, we actually played two of the same. We played two cover songs and we played both those songs twice during that. Played them last. And there's a reason that I'll get to after this. And then, and then I went out and saw the Roots play. And then I left there and drove to the aforementioned Bug Jar because it was like their 13th anniversary or something fun like that. So they were having like a sweet 13 party. And uh, our buddy and longtime scenester and, and great drummer, Rob Folardo, uh, his band, his old band, The Veins, were putting on the, this, the, the show that they were having at the Bug Jar was a Black Sabbath tribute. So we had always done the song St. Vitus Dance in our set. So we were kind of one of the first bands asked to play. So we learned, well, we knew St. Vitus Dance. We learned uh, NIB and, oh my God, and Wheels of Confusion, I think. And uh, so I play a show with Fall Guy. We played those Black Sabbath songs a couple of times at that show. I drive out to RIT. I see the Roots play. I leave there. I drive to the Bug Jar. I walk in just as the veins are playing their last song and, and fall guy was up next. So I walk in. Wow. One of the guys in my band's hand me a set of sticks and we go right up on stage and play again. It, it was fun. I was so pumped up on just having watched quest love play for 90 minutes. It, it, it was amazing. It was an amazing day. My, you know, my wife's also a big, you know, kind of R and B and hip hop head too. And uh, the Roots were playing the New York mm-hmm. State Fair, and you know they were playing one of the big free concerts. And we took our oldest son, and I was kind of like, uh, you know, he's gonna pay attention because he's he's good like that, you know. And you know, I've taken him to. We introduced all the boys to a lot of different music and theater, and just lots and lots, like everything out there. We try to show him if we can. And I was like, oh, I, I love these guys. I hope he loves mm-hmm. them too. And uh, oh my god, he had such a smile on his face, and he was dancing and just loved, like, just so good, so good. But I don't want to get too far away from hardcore because I can talk about That's incredible, you and I yeah. can do a hip hop podcast sometime too. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say, yeah, because I'm I'm already I'm already like thinking in my head of all the groups that I want my son to see when he gets older. So yeah, we could definitely talk about that uh, you know, on a separate podcast or just next time we see each other after uh we're yeah, allowed yeah. to be face to face again or whatever. Um so after like you kinda of referenced after Fall Guy uh broke up or after not not after they broke up, but after you left the band. You, uh, if I remember correctly, you took at least a few years off from playing in bands, um, but you were yep. still heavily involved in the music scene. So, kind of give people an idea of what you did in that in that gap uh, between bands. I started doing sound, and uh, you know, if, if we can, you know, if somebody wants to, I won't bore them with the story about how you actually kind of got me started in that, which was uh, still thank you to this day. But, um, uh, you know, I did sound. I worked at uh, I worked at a really cool record store. I raised. Uh, I lived in California for uh, four years. Uh, I first started doing kind of corporate audiovisual work when I uh, when I lived out there, and still do that to this day. I worked at a really great uh, architectural salvage place, like imagine like uh, Salvation Army, but for your house, uh, called Urban Ore out in Berkeley. I got to go see a lot of great bands, uh, you know, at like Gilman and uh, Any Social Club, and just I really started to kind of understand West Coast punk and hardcore when I lived out there. 
I wasn't the biggest fan here because everybody's here is like you know tough and mean and homeless and on drugs or whatever um and out there it's all not that they're not homeless and on drugs but it's they're fast out there they're um so i got to see lots of lots of that stuff uh the guy lyle we ran friends before uh lived out there our buddy uh daniel Haig had lived out uh, lives out there so i had a couple of friends when we moved there uh, my wife and i had one kid when we moved had another kid while we were out there um, moved back here and I didn't really do anything musically for until my wife was like, you need to get in another band again because you're kind of being an asshole. You need to, need to start playing music. So I got together with some buddies and we started a short lived project called, uh, called memory loss. And, uh, I was in a couple of, uh, Oh, I did that UV rays fill in gig. Uh, I was in a couple different misfits tribute bands so if you ever want to play 30 Misfit songs, I, I have them in my pocket. <clears throat> um, hmm. And then um, the, the best part about uh, memory loss, it was fun. We were all, we were good friends, but the best part about that is I started playing uh, with uh, Russ Torgiano, uh, who owns needle drop records here in Rochester played bass. And uh, the aforementioned Eric Lepore who played uh, guitar in a band called makeshift and a bunch of other bands. Uh, he was in um, break of dawn and uh, who was really, really great, really popular uh, band from here. They were phenomenal. Um, we, uh, we had that band. And then after that broke up, Russ reached out to Eric and I, because uh, a buddy of his who had moved here, this guy, Brandon Farrell, uh, had a solo project. He just moved up from Richmond, Virginia, and he had a solo project called Obsessor, and he wanted a backing band. He had a he had a record coming out. There were a bunch of tapes that were already out of the same stuff, but the the vinyl was coming out on uh, Tank Crimes, a great uh, great label out of uh, out of Oakland, California. If you don't know Tank Crimes, uh, check out the stuff that's on that label. He's got like um, Cannabis Corpse and um, uh, Fuck You Pay Me and kind of sewer and lots of lots, Scotty puts out lots of good stuff. Um, uh, the record was coming out. So Brandon wanted to start playing those songs live. So, you know, he ended up tapping Eric and Russ and I to be the, to be the backing band for that, for starters. And then, um, you know, we ended up writing and recording a whole, uh, a whole nother album. It became an actual band after that. It wasn't just a solo project. So, uh, because he's not with us anymore, oh, I'm sorry. I just want to give. Uh, I just want to say, anybody that's listening, please check out anything, absolutely anything that uh, Brandon Farrell did. He was in. Um, he plays on the Municipal Waste Waste Them All uh, record, and and you had said to me that you you had booked those guys. That's when I first met him. Is when you got when you booked him at Java's here. Uh, he played in uh, direct control and government warning and he toured with uh, career suicide and, and lots of stuff. The guys, the, the guy was just, I'm just, I'm really honored to have uh, to been in a band with him and, you know, may he rest in power. So new moment of truth. Yeah, no, let's go into that. So again, I think you have uh, uh, three of the original members are in the active band. And if I remember correctly, Chris, Chris actually played on some of the new songs on the album. And then you had Eric Burke, like you were referencing, <laughs> And then you had a good friend of, of mine and a good friend of this podcast, uh, Dave Flamero's in the band now. Yeah, so it's actually uh, four of the original members are in the band. And uh, and Chris didn't play on the record, but he did write, uh, four, I think, four of the songs that we recorded, uh, Chris helped to write. So we still want to make sure we give him credit because he, he wasn't, you know, 
it's not like he was a ghostwriter or not, but he, but he didn't actively play on it. Um, so how did it come about? Well, so, you know, we had, um, you know, hardcore talks about unity and brotherhood and togetherness and all this kind of stuff. And our singer, Jason, it was, uh, still very, very active in the, the New York hardcore scene. He's, you know, he lived down in, in Brooklyn for, I don't know, 10 years or something like that. And just, just knows everybody down there really, really active in the scene. But, you know, he hadn't been in a, in another band or anything. He, he joined the Marines in, and like I was saying before, he joined the Marines in 92 and uh, he's still in the army to this day. So uh, he was putting on a benefit show because his wife had breast cancer and he was putting together this big show and he was talking to us, Oh, you guys got to come down and blah, blah, blah. So, Patrick and I got talking about it and we we're like, yeah, hardcore talks all this crap about unity and brotherhood and stuff. But I was like, now's the time. I was like, we've been kind of, you know, hinting and being like, oh yeah, hey, if we get around to a reunion, it'd be fun to play a show if the time was right and all that. I was like, this is the time, man. I was like, if we don't do it now, we're not going to do it. I was like, our, you know, our, our, our brother needs us, you know, so if we can go down there and kind of let him, you know, have, we'll have fun playing and let him shine too and kind of show what he can do in front of his you know peer group and be you know and do it then then let's do it so chris couldn't play so we of course grabbed uh eric we you know reached out to our old guitar player nathan that had been living in in denver for he probably living in denver for eight years at that point or something i don't even think we had seen each other in a while and uh and we were like hey we want to do this thing for jay are you down and once we got the uh, once we got the band on board, then we reached out to Jason, and we're like, "Hey, is there room for one more band?" And he's like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Well, we want to do it." He's like, "What? Oh my god! Oh my! Just imagine you like uh, like Macho Man Savage like freaking hmm. out on you. It was like that, you know? It was like like a combination between like <laughs> Ric Flair and and uh, and Randy Savage. Like, oh yeah, yeah, woo! You know, just like totally, just kind of totally going off. Right? That's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. So Eric Burke decided to play with us again because, you know, we called Eric, hey, can you do this show? He's like, oh, yeah, I'll do the show. You know, like I said, Eric's just down for whatever. And uh, basically, so long as he doesn't have to pay money to do it, he'll go do it. He doesn't care if he makes money. But, you know, we just throw him some gas money or like, buy him dinner or whatever, you know. Um, so we went down and did the show. We had a blast. Uh, we decided to write some more songs, decided to keep going, and then – we played a bunch of shows, you know, Nathan was cool. If he couldn't fly in from Denver, you know, then, you know, then we just do the show with Eric or whatever. We did a couple of shows with just Eric on guitar. And then Eric came to us and was like, Hey guys, you know, like, you know, we're all still bros and all that, but you know, I just, I don't write hardcore music and I'm having a lot of fun, but he's like, I want to focus on other stuff. I want to, I want to focus on a new Sulaco record. I want to do that. Like whatever he wanted to do. We were like, yeah, of course, man, we understand. So we got talking about it and we were like, Hey, who's somebody like, we want another guitar player. We don't want to stop, you know? So of course we're like, well, we need somebody that's going to have an old school feel and we're going to need somebody that's going to have, you know, the same schedule as us, you know, we're all in our, you know, we're all in our mid forties, you know, like we need somebody that understands that like the drummers on the road 20 weeks out of the year. So if we practice twice a month, we're busy, you know? Um, and we got talking about it and, you know, David kind of reached out to us a little bit uh, about jamming after he had left Borrowed Time. And uh, I was just like, 
yeah, man, let's get together. You know, like Dave's, you know, probably Dave's, you know, a good 10 plus years younger than us. I think he's probably what, 33, 34 or something. But, you know, he has been in the scene, you know, when, when it comes like Dave started in the scene the same age as the rest of us. You know, he was like 15, 16 when he started going to shows or something, you know. So, like, just because he was only in his early 30s doesn't mean he hasn't put the time in, if you know what I'm saying. And we wanted somebody with that same kind of old school experience. And uh, we got together and jammed. And, you know, we'd known each other. I've known Dave since he was probably, you know, 18 or something like that. And uh, we got together and jammed. And he learned the songs real quick. And he showed up with new riffs. Some of those riffs appear on the new uh the new album the songs uh knuckle up and respect thy neighbor are direct uh stuff that started out with riffs that dave came to us with and uh yeah it's just been a it's just been a great fit you know and and plus our thing too because he's he's so excited and so motivated and, and and so great one of the things that that patrick and 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 uh and i told him was like we don't want to contain your energy so if you want to do other bands Go ahead and do whatever it is that you want to do, man. The only thing that we ask is that when it's time to do Moment of Truth, you're doing Moment of Truth. I'm like, I'd be a hypocrite if I said only be in one band. You know, when I was, like we talked about earlier, when I was, you know, yeah. in my mid-20s, I was in as many bands as I could be at once, you know? I'm guessing this next question is going to kind of vary by bands because you played in so many different styles of music. But how do you come up with the drum parts for your band? band you know, out it advance, starts out or... being organic, you know? You listen to the riff, you kind of get a feel for what the bass player is doing. You know, is, is your bass player just doubling up the guitar player, you know, just thickening up the guitar parts or are you you're going to write an actual bass line? You know, you kind of discuss what kind of feel that you want. You know, not every slow part needs a slow beat. Not every fast part needs a fast beat. You know what I mean? Like and then, then what I do is I kind of just play what feels right. You kind of gauge the reaction of the the guys in the room. And then my thing is like once you get a song stuck in your head you get those riffs stuck in your head you start thinking then i start to think about it a little bit more oh what kind of fill would work should i pull this back should i push this forward you know like am i dragging am i rushing you know like what's what what's going on here is this is this the feel that we want and you know and you got to know each other's personalities as well as as well as what kind of musical style you're going for and then i just kind of let it ruminate and then i just start to practice stuff and that's why it's called practice you know like I don't usually feel the need to make the set unless we're getting ready for a show or to record. I don't really feel the need to get the set perfect every time if I'm working on new parts, but I'll tell the guys like one of the songs that we recorded for the record, the one that Eric Burke co-wrote soul is life. Um, I've changed some of the drum parts on that because I've had some time to sit on it. Anybody that might come see us after hearing the song on the record, some of the drums are different because I had time to sit with them. And I thought about it a lot more and I played them for the guys and they're like, yeah, we like that better. So, you know, that's the, that's the kind of the way that goes. Now that's always cool. I mean, uh, it kind of reminds me of like seeing, seeing Bane a lot back in the day, like, like on recording. I mean, it wasn't that much different live, but some of their stuff on recording and live would sound a little bit different. And you could tell that it was from them touring for so long and just playing the music together so much that they, they could change the music up and and the crowd obviously appreciated it. Um, Like if you, if you were to go see a band like Rush, you're, you're, you're hearing the record live mm-hmm. because every note they play on that record, they play it at the exact same time every single night on every single song, you know, but like, I like it when you're seeing a band 
you know, and so long as it doesn't, as long as it doesn't radically change, if it's, if it, if it, what was supposed to be the mosh part is all of a sudden the thrash metal part, you might be like, oh, okay, thanks guys for fucking that up for everybody. But, um, you know, I like to kind of hear that stuff change. I like to see it kind of grow, you know? So throughout this, this interview, I feel like talking to you has kind of been like, gave me the impression that you, maybe you should even like do like a book or something someday. Cause a lot of your stuff has just sounded kind of like reading like classic literature of people have like, are well-traveled and kind of, oh, thanks, Josh. you know I mean? Have experienced a lot of stuff. So I guess kind of relating that to, to music though, is there anything that you haven't accompli- accomplished in the yeah, music really, scene yet really that you'd like to, to, uh, tour the West coast with this version? I mean, I want to tour anywhere with this version of moment of truth, but I've never been in a band that toured the West coast. And I really want to tour Europe. I've never, I've never been off the continent unless you can count going to like the Caribbean and, you know, Central America and and Mexico and stuff. But mainly that was taking, you know, like, like a a cruise with my family, you know, that's not really exploring, uh, you know, Honduras or anything when you go to the port city and they're fawning over the tourists. Um, But yeah, I, 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 I'd love to take this to over to Europe. Our label is um, like I said before, based out of the Netherlands. So, you know, probably wouldn't, it's probably not going to be as difficult as it may have been for a bunch of older guys to, to kind of get on a, on a European tour. If we want to, you know, if we especially if we can hook up with a European band, that's, that's on the same label. I'm not expecting, you know, Tim to throw That's our, the guy from our label, not expecting him to throw us any uh, money or anything, but, if once this coronavirus stuff kind of clears up and people can get out and be social again, I would really like to take this uh, this to, to Europe as much just to see uh, the old world uh, as to be able to play for uh, a European audience. I just think it would be I just think it would be fun. That's probably the one thing that I that I would really like to do. Yeah, no, I've always I've always had aspirations of I, I, I doubt I'll ever play in a band that goes on tour, but I've always wanted to go to Europe and see some of those yeah. like they have crazy festivals over there, you know, and, and just seeing the videos, whether it's hardcore or or the um like that resurrection yeah. festival, they have like a good mix of bands every year. Um a follow up question that I have, uh you referencing your label, how did you guys hook you know, up man, with the European record label for this release? I'm gonna I'm gonna give credit to uh to uh our singer, Jason here, when it comes to that. Uh, because I think, I think that, I, I think the band Come Out Swinging is on the same label, and I think they're from New York. So I think that might be the connection. I think that Jay may have known Tim or be been able to heard from it through Come Out Swinging. Like I said before, I, I did say right. in, in when I didn't like I did a corny ass like unboxing video when the CD arrived, and uh, I think it's still available on the, the our Facebook page, Moment right. Truth Hardcore. Um, I think I said the label was from Belgium and they're from the Netherlands. So clearly sometimes I get my wires crossed is all I'm getting at. <laughs> you know, but that is one thing like now that I'm a little older now, like, and obviously with doing this podcast, I'm going to be going to a lot more shows, you know, when we're able to go again yeah. in like 10 years or whatever, it seems like it's going to be. Um, but I don't know about like these like six to eight band bills, if I'll be able to sit through like every single band. And then like when I start booking shows again, I'd like to keep it, keep it to like, three to five bands you know what i mean like because because those those like mini fests just get to be too much like I'd, I'd love to go to like an actual festival but even then like i don't think i can sit through like 20 bands and and not for nothing yeah. but a lot of those bands end up sounding the same yeah, by the, the, last, the fest too the so it's kind of like I went to you know was the maryland death fest 
in, I think it was 2011, 2010, maybe. Uh, as I had referenced before, I'd done a little uh, tour managing and, and merch stuff for uh, Nuclear Assault around then. And they were on the bill, so I got to go down with those guys. And I really got, like, kind of old man spoiled at that show because I, you know, I had access to everywhere. So I got really, I'm going to come across like such a priss, but I didn't, I didn't have to wait in line to get in. You know, I didn't have to, you know, my wristband and my badge got me through everywhere. I was able to watch like five minutes of a band and be like, oh, okay, I get what they're doing and then go do something else. You know, I didn't have to, I didn't have to like budget my time or any of this kind of stuff. Like, oh no, I'll skip these guys tonight. Oh, I've seen them before, you know, so that was the last like festival I was at, but I, I'm really turning into the guy that unless my friends are playing first or second, if there's eight bands on the bill, I'm showing up by the time the third or fourth band has gone on, you know, like I'm, I'm showing, I'm showing up when the third band is going on. Yeah. I'm actually making my way into the club by the time the fifth band is playing. You know. Yeah. You know, the last, probably the last four or five years. I mean, I've mostly, I've, I think I've gone yeah. to like two or three shows per year for like the last five years, but like pretty much all of them I've gone to, I've, I've yeah. gotten there the same way, like when the second or third band was playing. <clears throat> and one time it almost, it almost bit me in the ass because uh, Tara that? played here with Knocked Loose like two years ago, uh, right around the corner from my, oh, wait, I didn't even see you there. That's crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of people there, um, but that's like right around the corner from my house and my son had just been born like two weeks before. So I like, I like timed it out in my head. I was like, if I get here at this time, I'll miss the first two bands. Yeah. I can just go up front and watch like a couple of the newer bands, and then Tara will just be setting up, you know. But of course, I got there when the first band was just getting ready to play. But I mean, I, I, honestly, I was kind of lucky because I don't know if you remember that show, but it was like basically sold out. Like they were like, yeah, people. And they had no idea how to deal with online ticket sales. They were trying to make you get into two separate lines, you know. It was like they were trying to make, you know, it felt like they were trying to make like unders getting one line, over overs getting another line. But, like, I was there with my oldest son, so it was like, well, I have physical tickets. We're not getting in two separate lines, you know, like, and by the time you finally got in, you know, and then, then when I was trying to go in, they yeah. didn't have, like, wristbands or anything. And I was, you know, I was just like, I, I don't care. I mean, it, like I said, it was a couple of years ago, so maybe I was 45, 44 or something that was going on. I was like, I was like, I. I don't care. I'm here with my kid. I'm not getting sloshed tonight. You know what I mean? Like I got to get, I got, I got precious cargo. I got to get home. You know, like I'm not, I'm here to enjoy some, I'm here to enjoy some hardcore. I don't need a wristband. Yeah. Well, you're over 21. You need a wristband. I was like, no, I don't like put X's on my hands. Like, I don't care. Like I'll just, I'll show the bartender my ID every time. Like it doesn't matter to me. You know, like, what are you doing? So we stood outside yeah, and no, listened that's... to two bands play while we waited in like an eight person line because they couldn't figure out how to let people in and i'm like i have hard tickets it's like i'm not trying to show you my phone you're not oh, trying to crazy. find the name on a list it's raining like can we just come in and they're like well you gotta be I was, like, uh... <laughs> I was like if it wasn't if it wasn't terror i'd leave <laughs> now we were talking earlier about how you and i listen to a pretty wide variety of music and obviously i think you listen to even more of a wide range than i do but if you could have like a dream show of like four to six bands and Four to six, you said. Of we're talking any genre, not, yeah. not a dream hardcore show. It doesn't have to be hardcore; it could be any era. Um, it would be. Uh, it would be Judas Priest, Voivod, Bugazi, Abel, 
quicksand and the roots. Yeah, I'll have to come yeah. up with my list because I plan on asking asking people this question in a bunch of interviews, and I'm kind of nervous that somebody might ask me, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if I could think about it off the top, top, top of my head like you just did because you did it pretty quickly. Like I'd have to really. It would be. It'd be a veil, sick of it all, slugfest, fade away, quicksand. Hmm. Who's gonna be number five here? Uh, I don't want to put I don't want to put another Scott Vogel band on there. Oh, face 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 value. I was gonna say Vogel Vogel's gonna be exhausted. What's that? Yeah, yeah, face value. You were you were saying what a good frontman Urba is. I I've actually never seen face value, but I've seen him. Uh, you see, like H one hundred, you know, playing a bunch of other bands, and he's he's definitely interesting. Yeah. I saw Nine Shocks a bunch of times. And I'm I I'm starting to lose my memory a little bit over time. I don't know if it's from the from the drugs or from the from the head injury, but yeah. but I I can't remember if I saw Gordon Slayer or not. I had their ten inch, and they were a really good band, but I can't remember for sure if I saw them play or not. But yeah, he's definitely one of the more interesting people that I've I've met in hardcore. So I guess we're kind of getting towards the end of this interview now. Um, what are what are some of the ethics that you've taken from hardcore that that you can kind of use in your everyday oh, life you know, that you've, you've, you've been able some to? Of this is growing up in a biker family, but you know the you know kind of a questioning authority, uh, you know, kind of you know doing it yourself. We're both guys that you know did zines and did you know bands and book shows and you know kind of all that kind of stuff. If you if you know. Uh, you know, uh, be the change that you'd like to see, I guess, is kind of the, 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 the saying around that, um, uh, you know, not only, uh, standing strong for something, but also being, you know, willing and able to change if a change is necessary, you know, like not kind of not being, like you can be, you can be ethical and dedicated and not be stubborn, is guess I guess what I'm trying to say here. Um you know, one of the things that I love about hardcore and and punk, because hardcore is just a subgenre of punk, right? Is uh you know, ev you know, the the difference, everything that's different there, you know, to think that like uh to think that like um you know like Agnostic Front and Burn and Quicksand all came out of the New York hardcore scene. But that's, you know, but that's all kind of different stuff. You know, it's all still aggressive, heavy music. It's still, you know, but it's, you know, it's, it, it's all slightly different. I, I really appreciate that more than a lot of the uh, homogenized stuff. And I guess it's taught me to kind of, you know, not just settle for one thing or it's okay to be into more than, more than just one thing, you know, I really learned, I don't say I learned how to be more open-minded, but I, I guess it was, uh, being open-minded about stuff was, uh, embraced a little bit more, you know, if, if you, if you, uh, I had a lot of great, I had more debates and fewer arguments in hardcore than, you know, when I was like, uh, a, a metalhead when I was younger or whatever. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of, a lot of friends go on to do a lot of great stuff out of the hardcore scene, you know, I mentioned my old singer, Greg, before owns this MMA gym and, you know, Dave has his own drywalling business and, you know, uh, our, uh, guitar player, Nathan, uh, he does like instrument repair. He fixes like, um, 
like school band instruments, you know, like if you got a clarinet or a tuba or something that the valves are stuck, man, he's, he's going to, he's going to fix it for you, you know? So like kind of being able to, uh, you know, from booking your own shows and writing your own music and putting out your own records and all that, you can start your own business, you know, and you can still be successful. And, you know, you, you don't have to, you don't have to bow down if you, if you don't want to, there, there are options out there, you know? No, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, I always kind of saw how open-minded you were about stuff. And I think that kind of, you know, helped me become more open-minded, not just with music, but just with life in general. I mean, obviously sometimes I can be pretty stubborn about stuff, but I, I still kind of try to, yeah, you, you try to take a step back and, and take life for what it is. And, and, you know, one thing I've, I've definitely learned uh, in the last year is that life is really short and we're, and we're lucky to be here. And I try not to get, you know, too hung up on any of the, the stuff that gets me down now and just yeah. try to, you know, realize like, like you, I have a family now and, and there's a lot to, to look forward to, you know? So I guess that pretty much wraps up the questions that I have. So um, do you have any other closing yeah, comments or anything else you want to plug or anything? On uh, WTF records uh, out of the Netherlands, they can be found at uh, WTF records.eu. Um, if you go to the moment of truth, Facebook page and hit the shop now button, it'll take you directly to their website. So try to support our label and any of our other uh, label mates. Um, you know, support your local scene as you can, uh, as you can hear us talking uh, here on this podcast, you know, there's there's lots of great music happening in our city, and it's it's happening in your city too. And if and if it's not happening in your city, it's because you could be doing more uh, to make that what you what you want it to be. You know, like uh, um, I guess I want to thank uh, my wife Narissa and my kids Brennan and Jameson. I want to say a lot of a lot of thanks to you, uh, Josh, for for having me on here for helping me promote the new record. I got to give a shout out to my uh, to my bandmates. Um, yeah, support your local clubs, support your local scenes, uh, you know, uh, your independent record stores uh, here locally. It's Record Archive, uh, Bob Shop, Neil Drop. Uh, lots of good, uh, lots of good stuff. Support your local distros. Uh, bands make more money on merch if you buy it directly from them. So uh, if you love a band, try to try to take care of them that way. Stay healthy um, and uh, don't be a sucker. You know, there's probably no better way to end an interview than by saying don't be a sucker. So that wraps up my conversations with Jim Callahan. I hope you enjoyed them, and I really want to thank Jim for doing the interviews with me. Now we're going to hear a few songs from some of Jim's bands. First up is a couple tracks by the band Fahrenheit Killer. On this recording, you had Lyle Sprague on vocals, Aaron Berto on guitar, Aaron Nichols on bass, and Jim Callahan on drums. Lyle and both the Aarons were in the band A Death Between Seasons at one point or another. If you've never heard that band before, I highly recommend checking out their band camp. They're one of my favorite Rochester bands. Anyway, these two Fahrenheit Killer songs are called Aaron Berto and Jim Callahan.
just heard two songs from Fahrenheit Killer. Up next is two tracks from the band Obsessor. Obsessor featured the late Brandon Farrell, Eric Lepore, Russ Torrigiano, and Jim Callahan. The two songs are called Path to Violence and Soul Repossession.
last song on this episode comes to you from moment of truth and it's called respect thy neighbor don't forget to check out the new moment of truth record no blind eyes available now on wtf records for more information visit wtfrecords.eu or the moment of truth facebook page or their instagram page
That wraps up episode six. Episode seven will feature a conversation with Rochester hardcore historian Greg Benoit. Episode eight will be volume one of our small business series, featuring conversations with Jeff from Owl House and Swillburger, Rory from Ugly Duck Coffee, John from Black Cat Bakery, David from Idols and Anchors Barbershop, and Paul from Hide the Bodies Press. As always, you can find more information at EnterpriseHardcorePodcast.com. I'd like to give a special thanks to Jim for doing the interview, Rob for all your help with the podcast, and to my family for your never-ending support. See everyone real soon, and stay safe.